Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. If you have your Bible, open them to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, hopefully this crackling will stop, but uh, I'm excited this weekend because we are starting a brand new series in the letter of First Peter that we're calling Sojourners Living in a World That Is Not Our Own. And I have to brag for just a second to point out that our in-house artist, who happens to be my wife, Andrea Gonzalez Boyd, hand drew all these little houses and cars and trees. And if you, you know, it took me a minute to look at it, but it's, it's the world. And so, um, but Sojourners Living in a World That Is Not Our Own. Now, around the world today, many Christians face death for their beliefs. Uh, In fact, in 2014, persecution reached historic levels with approximately 100 million Christians facing possible dire consequences for merely practicing Christianity. Kind of puts things in perspective for us and where we are in life in the world. They face things from imprisonment to torture to beheadings. More Christians worldwide live in fear for their life's now more than at any other time in modern history. Now, we may not be suffering this way yet, but the truth is simply by virtue of our identity with Christ, Christians will suffer. We found ourselves in a a time and a, a culture where following Jesus is not as easy as maybe it used to be in the U.S., We're living in a time that, in my 36 years on this earth, I've never experienced this. Like, we're more politically divided than I can ever remember before. We're more racially divided than I can ever remember before. And the world we live in is becoming more and more hostile towards Christianity, towards our Christian faith and our Christian values. But this is not the first time that Christians have found themselves in this situation. In fact, in the first century, there's a guy named Jesus who showed up onto the scene. And this, this guy who showed up, he claimed to be God. He taught for three years. And at the end of this three years, he was crucified on a cross before coming back to life three days later. Fast forward just a little bit, and then Jesus had these close followers called apostles. We looked at uh, some of them this past week. And he chose them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth to all places. Now, the rulers of the day did not like Jesus. They did not like Christianity. They did not like the the teachings that they were giving and the practices that they were practicing. And so it got to a place where if they refused to compromise, if these followers refused to give in to kind of the norm of the culture, the norm of the day, they started being persecuted for their faith. And so 1 Peter is a letter written to churches like ours about a time such as ours which is why I chose this letter for such a time as this. It seemed very relevant to where we are in life and culture in our society. Because we are living in a post-Christian, some would say a post-modern society, very much like the pre-Christian society in which Peter's original first century readers would have lived. And so this will help us prepare to endure in suffering as Christians. Now, once again, to be clear... (laughs) We do not live in a society where we're being persecuted for our faith. We're freely worshiping this morning in one of the cities where it's probably the hardest to worship 
freely in our country. And so we're not being persecuted for our faith, but we are encountering the reality of increased hostility toward anything that is Christian. We live in a time where Christianity is no longer generally accepted. There are still parts of the country where it's kind of, uh, it is kind of accepted, and, and being a Christian or a pastor brings you some credibility in the community. They almost trust you because you are that. But where we live, that is no longer the case. Nor is it even deemed acceptable. And in some ways, our practices are, are looked at as hateful and considered hateful by others. And so while we aren't facing the threat of jail time or the loss of our lives, we are increasingly facing a progressively intolerant culture in which we are likely to be discriminated against simply based on our identity with Christ. Now, our city loves to boast equality and inclusion, right? Of all people and all things and do this. But that seems to mean anything and everything other than the Christian faith and our Christian values. Now, this may be a newer or increasing reality for you, one that we're becoming more accustomed to in our day. I always tell people in other parts of the country, if you want to see what your future is going to look like, come and, and experience our life for, for a few days. And we had a couple of pastors here from Texas this week, and I think they saw that reality in the couple of days they were here. But suffering for being a Christian was not new to Peter's readers. It was a normal part of the Christian life. And so Peter wrote this letter to his original audience and to us, not to help us avoid suffering. I think a lot of us kind of look at that. How do we avoid suffering? How do we make our lives comfortable? But he didn't write this letter to help us avoid suffering. He wrote this letter to help us know how to endure in suffering, which is very different. And so he wrote this not to help us avoid suffering, but to know how to endure in suffering and to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of a world that is becoming completely unhinged. Peter will teach us to face the reality of following Jesus and obeying his ways and how that does make us different. Have you ever thought about that? Like, think about the beliefs that we believe as Christians. Like, if I'm on the other side, I don't blame them. Like, it's some strange claims that we have. That, I mean, just creation story, and they go through the whole Testament, and then that there was these prophecies that this guy would come, and that then there was this virgin... Do you know any other virgins who've had babies? I don't. This virgin had a baby named Jesus who then lived a perfect life, like really a perfect life, didn't sin, not one little white lie, who then went on to be killed and then came back to life, taking on your sin and my sin and guilt, shame. Like we believe some pretty strange claims and so it does make us strangers or I like to say sojourners in a world that is not our own. And so in this series, we will learn how to endure unjust suffering in a society where Christianity is becoming unwelcome. We're going to learn how to live with joy, hope, and love when we are mocked and misunderstood because of our beliefs and our lifestyle. And we're going to learn how to stand firm in Christ in every trial in our lives. Now, by sharing these truths with his first readers, Peter hoped that they would be able to face with greater joy the ridicule and shame that this world brought upon them. He wanted them to be able to stand firm in their knowledge of, of Jesus and the vindication of the coming at the revelation of Christ. And so the Christians to whom Peter wrote, his original audience, were exiles in the world that they once called their own. So this was their home. These people were, were born in these places. And all of a sudden they found themselves as outsiders, as strangers, as sojourners. Or the word exiles is used here. And why was this? What, what, what was it that made them so strange? They refused to worship the gods of their culture. 
And we may not look around like when I lived in India and see physical statues and idols and temples, but we have gods in our culture. They had an exclusive message of salvation. This is popular in our culture, that, that some people are actually pretty accepting of us, but they say, hey, that's good for you. You do what works for you, and I've got this over here. You know, I've got this over here, but the Bible actually teaches there's only one way to God. There's only one message of true salvation, and that's, that's pretty countercultural. And they worship a God who became man, died, and rose again. And so sojourn is my hope and my prayer that as you hear these truths and challenges of this letter in the coming weeks, that we too will be inspired and better equipped to stand firm in our faith. As times get harder, and I believe they will get harder, some of us will be tempted to compromise what we believe in order to fit in. Maybe those of you who are still in, in grade school, my children listening, you may say, man, I just want to fit in. I don't want to be the weird kid in class. Or some of us are going to do what we can to avoid suffering. While others are, are tempted to complain about all that is wrong with the world. This is probably the, the, the side that I find myself on. Just kind of being moaning like, how has the world gotten to where it is? And we long to return to a better time. But here's the reality. That time probably never actually existed. It just was packaged a little bit differently. And so let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into the first part of 1 Peter chapter 1. God, we come to you this morning and thank you, for, for first just for you, the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God who is sovereign over all things. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter that was written by Peter to a church like ours in a time like ours to help us stand firm in our faith and be reminded of who you are and who we are and our standing in you based on Jesus. God, speak to us now in your name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So point number one is that Peter is speaking as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? I think most of us would just read this, and we just kind of brush right past this first, right? You're like, it's just the introduction. He's just kind of saying, here's my title, here's who I'm writing to. But this part that he points out of being an apostle of Jesus Christ is actually a really, really important point. Because he's writing with unique authority as being one who was sent out directly by Jesus as an apostle. In fact, we, we've talked about the apostles some in the last few weeks, but this is the only title in all of Scripture that places of Jesus Christ after saying, hey, I'm an apostle. It was kind of assumed, but he's kind of putting the extra authority. Like, just in case you question this, I'm an apostle, and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so while he's making this statement for us, and this is really, really important for us on the front end of this entire series, what he is doing, he's saying, the words that you're reading today, Sojourn Church in 2022, these are not my words, but these are the actual words of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is this, these words come with authority. Now, the reason this is such a big deal and that it's the first point is because Peter's going to teach us some very difficult things in the coming weeks on how it is that we live in this world that's really not our own and how we find ourselves just feeling like strangers and outsiders and, and sojourners. Things that I think a lot of us will readily agree with Peter, kind of shake our heads and like, yes, and maybe even amen, whether in our heads or out loud, but things that are actually really difficult 
to follow through and live out practically. Which is why he wants to establish on the front end, hey, the words you are hearing are of Jesus Christ himself, not Peter. Which brings us to point number two. It says, this world is not your home. Pick up in the second part of verse one. I'll read it again. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now he calls the recipients of his letters elect exiles or strangers, depending on what translation you're using, of the dispersion. But he's not speaking of a literal exile here. So why does, why does he call them this? If I came in and said, you guys are strangers, you know, you're, 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 you're different. Well, what this phrase is representing in the Greek is this compact phrase. This is literally to chosen sojourners of the dispersion. And so the, the word here is reinforcing the meaning of sojourners and adds the idea that they are part of a worldwide scattering of Christians. Why are they sojourners? Because they only worship one God. Why are they sojourners? Because they don't live their lives under their own personal agenda and morals and values. They're sojourners because they're living and practicing the way of Jesus. And so believers, and that would include us, are exiles, not because they're displaced from their homeland. So you might be in your homeland the rest of your life where you were born and raised, but believers are exiles because they suffer for their faith in a world that finds their faith off-putting and strange. That's why they are in exile. Which is why believers long for their true home in a world that is coming. Which is why they don't conform and bend to the values of the culture and the world around them. The Bible uses the language of this present evil age. That's why we don't give in to this present evil age and live in that way. And this introduces this crucial idea of God's people as pilgrims, as sojourners, and exiles on the earth. And so basically he's describing Christians' relationship with the world around them. Now... You and I may be citizens of the U.S. I think everyone in this room is a citizen of the U.S. But this is not our primary citizenship. I think this is where it gets really sticky during election years especially. And churches, some of them get really, really political. But our primary citizenship, church, is in heaven. We're just passing through. You know, we just kind of got our passport that happens to say United States citizen. And we're just passing through in this, earth, in this world in the way that it is now. But this is not where our permanent home is to be. Now, before we bought our home in 2020, we rented two different houses here in this neighborhood. But they were temporary. We knew that this was not our forever home in the city of Portland because we had not bought the home. We didn't own the home. And so while we did some things to the home to make it feel like our home, we didn't go through and paint the whole outside of the house like we did when we bought a house. We didn't paint the whole inside of the house. We didn't renovate and say, man, we want to get done. We want to take the fans out and we want to put different walls here and new cabinets like we wouldn't do all that and invest all that because we lived in such a way that we knew this is a temporary home. This is not my forever home. My friend Matt Carter said it this way. He said, this is what Peter is reminding us. This is your temporary home, and when you view it that way, it will change you. And suddenly, you giving of your time, your talent, your treasure is no longer that big of a sacrifice because you start viewing it as giving to your future eternal home. Let me repeat that last part. When you start viewing your eternal home, he said, when you view it that way, it will change you. And suddenly you giving of your time, your talent, your treasure is no longer that big of a sacrifice because you start viewing it as you giving to your future eternal home. Philippians 3.20 says it this way. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Really, that's good news. That should be a fresh reminder for us. And that's what Peter's going to show us. Whatever you endure, whatever trials, whatever suffering you encounter, it's temporary. This is not your forever home. It's almost like our retirement plans now. Like if you're investing in a retirement plan, why are you investing in that? For your for your retirement, for your future. You're investing for your future so that one day, I keep joking that, yeah, I keep joking that my generation will never be able to retire, but, um, and, and it's true, a lot of church planners and pastors don't set aside for retirement the way they should, but you, you, you invest now so that in the future, when you're 65 or maybe 70, that you no longer have to work the way that you currently are working and that you can live a comfortable enough life until you die. But in this case, it's our eternal heavenly retirement. This kind of clicked this week because we think, like, man, why would I give of my money? Why would I give of my time? Why would I give of my talent? This is why. This is why we want to be generous with all things because this is not our home. And we'd rather sacrifice here and invest it for the future for our heavenly reward to lay it at the feet of Jesus. That's why we do those things now. And somehow it's clicked for our culture with, with this idea of retirement here, but what about the, the, the future eternal home where we want to give rewards to the feet of Jesus? And so because of our identity with Christ, we are strangers in a world with those driven by the desires of the flesh. And so we see that this world is not our home, which brings us to point number three. That God is sovereign and works all things for your good. Now this passage and, and some of the language it uses in these first couple verses is why that many pastors and many churches don't preach verse by verse because they get a little nervous with some of the language and it gets them in some trouble, and so they'll skip over passages. But this is the very reason that we do typically, when we do an entire book, we do preach verse by verse. Because I want it to force us to go to God's Word to see what God's Word has to say. And then the prayer that I pray all week, and hopefully you pray for me all week, is that, that I'm getting the right, accurate interpretation of this. But let's pick up with verse 1b through the first part of verse 2. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, and Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, Peter will unpack this idea for us more fully, but first, it says that Christians are elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, listen to me carefully and clearly. In this passage, he is not talking here about one's salvation. Now, many of the commentaries kind of use this as like a, a case point and say, this is what it's talking about, which is why many avoid this passage altogether. In this passage, he is talking about followers of Jesus being chosen for a moment of suffering or for the trials of life. In other words, it's already a group of Christians and that they're being chosen for a, a moment of suffering or for a temporary suffering or a temporary trial in life. The Greek word Peter used here for elect is eklektos, meaning that they're chosen or handpicked for something. So Peter's saying you're being chosen for this task. You're being handpicked for this task. And then it says, so according to the foreknowledge, which suggests that according to God's fatherly care for you before the world was made, that God knew the prognosis or the forecast of the likely outcome of the situation. Okay, let me help us get our heads around that hopefully a little bit better. So uh, two different times in my life, my mom has had cancer. And by God's grace, she survived it both times, and she's been cancer-free. I don't even know how many years it's been now. Mom, if you're tuning in, you can type it in the chat, and we'll, we'll all see it later. How many years she's been cancer-free? But at some point during her cancer treatment, she went to the doctor, and the doctor gave her a prognosis of the eventual outcome. And praise God, the eventual outcome was that you are going to be cancer-free. 
and that you can now live your life in such a normal way. And so this is why we as Christians don't freak out when suffering comes into our life. Why? Because God knew or foreknew our prognosis. So it's similar to the doctor coming and saying, hey, I know the future. I know where this is going. I know where this is headed, regardless of what you're dealing with. Now, I had an uncle who just passed away of cancer recently. And here's the thing. He didn't waste his cancer. His prognosis was, this is going to take your life. And it took his life sooner than we all anticipated it would take his life. But he also didn't waste his trial. He didn't waste his suffering. Instead, the prognosis allowed him to be strategic and to utilize for the glory of God and for his own good the time that he had left. I've, I've heard stories, got to meet with all of his children who are all at different places spiritually, and he got to talk with them one last time say, this is where things are at. He got to talk with old friends and mend relationships that maybe hadn't been mended. He got to kind of take care of some stuff at his house, things that he'd been delaying for years because he saw the prognosis that was coming. And so that way he also did not waste this time. Psalms 139.16 it says, your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. And so the point here is that God has a plan and purpose for every single day of your life. Even on the worst day of your life, God has a plan and a purpose because God is there. He is at work. He's not abandoned you. He's actually doing it for your good, for his good and for his glory. And so regardless how bad your circumstances might have seen the last couple of years, because it seems the last couple of years especially has been really hard on people, understandably so, that this is a reminder for those of us in Christ that God is sovereign and he is the one who has known us intimately before the foundation of the world. He foreknew what we would go through the last couple of years. Now, if we were God, they probably wrote the story very, very differently. And we're still kind of going like, all right, God, like has it actually drawn, drawn us to our hands and knees? I don't know. But like, I think we're all getting to that point. Like, all right, God, when is this going to be over? But it didn't surprise God that God foreknew what we would go through. God foreknew what we would go through as individuals. He foreknew what we'd go through as a church. And so what Peter's doing here, he's teaching us that when trials come into our lives, that we are not to fall into despair. That is what the world should do when the world responds that way. We're not to fall into bitterness at God, but to remember that God is using them for our good and for his glory. That's good news. And so we're to remember the sovereignty of God and that he's working all things for our good. So whatever you're going through this morning, I know that's not an easy pill to swallow, but that is the faith that we have in the sovereign God of the universe, that he is doing something. And I don't want to waste this trial that I'm going through. So if it's cancer and the prognosis is this is going to take your life, how do you live in such a way not to waste it? If it's the prognosis is this is cancer and you're going to survive it and you're going to be all better, how do you continue to live in there day forward in such a way that you don't want to waste your life? brings us to our fourth and final point this morning. That God uses every trial in our lives to transform us into his likeness. And it's something beautiful and powerful. Let's look at the second part of verse two. And the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So we see three things within this second part of this verse that mark the life of a believer. First, the Spirit sanctifies Christians. Now the word translated sanctification means set apart or set apart for something. And Peter's saying that every moment through your life, every moment of suffering, every challenge, every trial in your life, 
that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you in that moment, in that trial, making you more and more like Jesus. I think some of us need to let that sink into our lives and our hearts this morning. That every time you suffer in this life, that it has a purpose, an eternal purpose. And so that leaves us with three categories of people in the room. So you fit one of these categories. Sometimes I say this and I'm like, maybe, maybe not, but no doubt you meet one of these categories. We have those who are going through a trial, presently active in your life, you're experiencing a trial right now. We have those who just came through a trial, that you're kind of on the other side of it. You can still see it in the rearview mirror, but you're on the other side of the trial. And then we have those who are about to go through a trial. But here's the reminder for us. God is not allowing you to go through a trial because he's forgotten about you. It's quite the opposite. He is allowing you to go through that trial because he loves you. Let me say that again. God is not allowing you to go through a trial because he has forgotten about you. It's quite the opposite. God is allowing you to go through that trial because he loves you. And it's through the trials of life that he transforms you into something more powerful for his kingdom and for his glory, that he's using that trial. I think about some of the hardest years of my life to date were also some of the best years of my life. Isn't that strange how life works that way when you look back on a trial or, or a season of life that was hard? I think for me, the, the, the hardest year of my life, hardest seasons of my, uh, season of my life was when we lived overseas in South Asia. I think specifically about a, a very bad car accident that I happened to be in that some should have said should have taken my life. That was the worst day of my life, like two days. Like, God, I, I really hope, I know I'm preaching on trials, I ain't used to them. I'm like, I don't want a worse day than that. Like, it was a really, really bad day. But I look back and go, but God used it in such a way to mold me and shape me to be more and more like him. I think about that day for me, it was like literally the day I probably relied on God the most. I had no cell phone service. I had no one else. No one spoke English around me. I was by myself in a culture that a lot of times will beat somebody if they're the ones who caused the accident. And that was me. And it's this day that I look like, man, God used the suffering of my life to make his word come alive. Where I was reliant on him. And so the greatest moments of my spiritual growth in my life haven't come from when life was going great. But they've often come from when the greatest moments of spiritual growth came through suffering. Because it's in the suffering that these moments that God gave me more of himself. And that's ultimately what we need. is for God to give us more of himself. Second, Christians are set apart by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus. We see that, that the Holy Spirit set us apart in order that we can obey the gospel through initially responding by trusting and repenting in, in this, what we call saving faith. And then third, we see the Holy Spirit set us apart for sprinkling with Jesus' blood. Now this language is pointing back to the initial covenant when God set Israel apart as his people in the book of Exodus. And here, what Peter's doing is he's encouraging Christians by reminding us that we are the new covenant people of God. And so for us, this refers to the atoning work on the cross where all believers were sinned, were washed away, just as the old covenant was inaugurated with the shedding of his blood. And then we see verse 2 finishes like this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. We see that God's peace is the result of his grace that signifies a holistic sense of well-being that belongs to those who are in right relationship with God. And this is why Peter, next week, here's kind of your sermon preview for next week, why Peter will point us to verse 6 by saying, be comforted and rejoice. You can rejoice in suffering because you can remember who is speaking to you. It's not Peter. It's Jesus. 
You can rejoice in suffering because you remember that this world is not your home. You can rejoice in suffering because you can remember that God is sovereign and he is working every moment of your life for your good and his good. And you can rejoice in suffering because God is transforming you into something beautiful and something powerful. This is good news. When we think about the suffering and trials of our life, that God is using it for something. Something that we don't see, something that we often don't understand, something we probably wouldn't choose to go through, but that God, if God is God, right, the God that we sing hallelujah and sing all these songs, like if God, he's over all of it. And so as Christians, that is good news. And so here's what I believe Peter is doing for us this morning as we set up this whole series. Peter is shouting from the rooftop. If you are not a believer, if you are not in Christ, and I think he would argue to us and say, soak up every last ounce of this life. Live life to the fullest. Climb the corporate ladder. Get as much money as you can. Get the most comfortable life you can because this life is as close to heaven as you will ever get. So get everything you can out of it. And so when I see those around us in our world who are not identifying themselves with Christ and that's the way they're living, I think, how else should they live? That's exactly how they should live. That's exactly how I would live. But if you are a son of daughter of his, if you are what he calls his beloved, we can endure suffering when it comes our way because we can rejoice that in this suffering, in this present life, that this world is as close to hell as we will ever get. And that is why we rejoice knowing that it gets better, that we're going to endure this now for a temporary time as sojourners, as strangers, but not for eternity, and that it will get better. And so in that, we can rejoice as the people of God. And so let me pray for us this morning, and then I'm going to give us a couple ways that we're going to respond this week. God, we come to you as your sojourners. God, as those who have found themselves living in a land that is not our home, living in a city that sometimes looks and feels familiar, but stranger and stranger. God, as our world continues to move further and further away from you and from your values, God, we as your people want to move further and further in. God, we want to look more and more like you because of Jesus. And God, so we don't pray that you would remove the trials from us. We pray that you help us endure in the midst of the trial. God, as our city goes further and further away from you, as our country goes further and further away from you, God, as political agendas get further and further from you, as our school systems get further and further from you, God, that you would help us, your people, your church, your bride, to endure in suffering. God, I think we'd be missing it this morning if we didn't think about our brothers and sisters overseas who are already dealing with the literal consequences of suffering and a sense of persecution and torture and beheadings and jail time and loss of family members. So God, we pray that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters who live all over the world. God, we pray that even in this moment, this morning, whatever time it is where they are, God, whatever they're enduring, God, that you would, that you would help them endure through that. That you would help them stand firm in their faith knowing it is worth it because it's for a temporary time on this side of heaven. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask that we would look more like you as we go through these coming weeks in this letter of 1 Peter. In your name, amen. So this morning, as we move into a time of response, typically have two categories of people. You might be tuning in this morning online or you might be in the room. First, we have those who have never responded to Jesus. So once again, this first century, there's a guy named Jesus who came on the scene, 
claimed to be God. He taught for three years. He was crucified for our sin on a cross, and he rose again to life three days later, conquering sin and death. And the invitational command in what we call the gospel, this good news of Jesus, for you in this moment is repent and believe. And so that's what we, we would call you to do, to repent and believe. Second, we have those who identify with Christ. I mean, my guess is that's most of us, with Christians. We live in a world of uncertainties. And being the people of God means that our relationship with this world around us will always be risky because of our Christian faith. But we're reminded today of our standing before the world because of our standing in Christ. And that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our trials, our tribulations, that we can stand firm in the grace of God who chose us before the creation of the world and brought us into something through the setting apart of the Spirit for our conversion to Him. And so if you have turned from your sin, if you have trusted Jesus, then you have nothing to fear, nothing to worry. Are you going to go through trials and suffering? Yes, absolutely you will. But you can stand firm in Christ. You can stand firm knowing that God is sovereign over all and that he's working in all and that he's making you better. You're going to look more and more like him. And he's doing it for your good, for his good, and for his glory. And so Ben's going to come back up. He's going to lead us out and worship through uh, singing and I'll be in the back this morning if anyone needs prayer. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.